Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to the Daily Evolver Live. It's Tuesday night, November 4th, 2014, and I am coming to you, as always, from my home in Boulder, Colorado. I'm here with Brett Walker, who is managing the call in the kitchen. How you doing, Brett? How's it going in there? Everything under control? Yeah. Ruby is curled up uh, next to the refrigerator, and... Yeah, we have four dogs here. We, we, we have Stella and, and three dogs were sitting. So let's hope that they, uh, I think they've tuckered each other out today. Yeah, if they start making noise, I'll throw them outside. <laughs> cool. Well, it is uh, a nice night in Boulder, a nice day. And it is, of course, Election Day in the U.S., and it's a midterm, so it's a, it's a t- every two-year election that's not doesn't include the president. It's all of the House of Representatives, a third of the Senate, for those of you who don't um, know American politics that well. And um, we have a trend that tonight the Senate will move from the Democratic side to the Republican side. That looks like it's going to happen. And so they will join the House, which is already Republican, And so we will have Congress united as Republicans uh, against the administration, uh, the Obama administration, which is Democratic. This is the sixth year of a presidency. It's the midterm of the second term, and generally presidents lose out in uh, midterms. Uh, We'll wait to see how bad it is. But, um, you know, I, I I guess it's bad news for an Obama apologist like me, (laughs) Uh, you know, in the sense that the Obama agenda is over, but it was over after the first two years, really, in a certain way. I mean, in terms of legislation, because that's when the House went Republican. Uh, And uh, but now with the Senate, uh, you know, it deals with judgeships and uh, nominations and that sort of thing. So it it has a, you know, another dampening effect on Obama and his power. Uh, The good news is that we will hopefully begin to see the articulation of a Republican agenda that moves beyond obstructionism. And, um, you know, from an integral perspective, I want to sort of rehabilitate both of those terms, Republican and, you know, most integralists, not all by any means, but most are liberals one way or the other, green, uh, at least waist deep. Uh, so Republican's not the enemy. I mean, Republican actually is the pole of a polarity between conservatives and liberals that is essential for a culture to move forward. We always have people with their foot in the brake and people with fo- their foot in the gas, and that seems to be the way God wants it. So uh, God is um, in favor of Republicans, and so am I. And I also want to rehabilitate the, the term obstructionism. It's not a dirty word uh, in politics. If your opponent is government, uh, it's a perfectly appropriate defensive strategy to just try to stop it in its tracks. Uh, And that's, it's not unlike uh, the way a lot of liberals feel about corporations. You just want to slow them down, stop them. They don't, they, they see them as a pernicious force in the world. And so, you know, this is again, the polarity that makes the world go round. So 
the obstructionist still has a, there's, a, there's still a, a strong stream of that in the Republican Party. Uh, about 20%, I would say, of the electorate, probably a majority of Republicans. But, you know, it's not just that. There's, there are people in the um, sort of libertarian Republican realm where it's just basically a freedom agenda. Uh, you know, I'm glad they're there. These, these are people who are really, in, in a way, true modernists in, in the sense of they get that sovereignty rests in the individual and not in the king and not in the government. And that's really, really animating to people at a certain stage of development and in a certain worldview. And uh, I, I have two conservative friends that one night we were together and I asked them, what is the conservative ethos for you? And one said, and I love this, when in doubt, choose liberty. And I like that. I mean, it actually feels good to believe in something like that. I mean, when we get terribly postmodern, as so many of us are, you know, we deconstruct every belief into a sort of a, you know, depressing mess. So it's just fun to like, oh, okay, when in doubt, choose liberty. That's, that's something to believe in, something to have a, as a guide. And then the other one said, uh, and I love this too, he said, just keep your hands off of me. I mean, I don't know if you can feel sort of the power in that, that, you know, I am, I am sovereign. I am, you know, the king or queen of my life, and I am a hero on my journey. And I will deal with you on my terms, and we will make contracts together, and we will build things and whatever. But, you know, I'm not under your control. And so, you know, this is something that is alive on the right and in the Republican Party. And one of the things we talk about, and this is what's kind of encouraging about this, you know, midterm. And as I said, there's, you can look at it both ways. But that the Republicans now have to come up with something because, you know, in politics over the long run, nothing doesn't beat something. You know, you have to have something. Most people are not obstructionists. Most people in the general electorate, it's maybe 20% of the population or, or of the voters are in, in this sort of obstructionist bent. The rest of them want government to work. They just want it to work smarter and better. And so, you know, Republicans have to come up with something. And this is uh, something that we talked about with Steve McIntosh a couple of weeks ago in his Institute for Cultural Evolution, is that the future left and the future right grow out of this polarity between, you know, the conservatives and Republicans. I'm sorry, the conservatives and the liberals. And we create something where both of them take on the best qualities of the other. Again, the example being that how men and women have grown and evolved over the last generation or two. If you think of how men and women were in our grandparents' generation, men were men, women were women. And where men and women are in modern times, you know, men have taken on feminine qualities, women have taken on qualities of, you know, agency and getting out in the world. And, and it's a better world for it. And it's not that women have become men and men have become women. And so this is the same sort of metabolization that happens as we move into this new world of 
maybe post-Obama agenda, but it's not the post-Obama era. He's still president. And, uh, you know, he can veto anything from Congress. They can override it. It's a big deal. And, and we'll see how it goes. But my guess is that Obama, who I believe is integral enough, at least, that um, as he came into Washington with this idea of transcending left and right, that was, if you remember, his 2008 campaign, it was, you know, we are not a red nation. We are not a blue nation. We are a purple nation. Uh, you know, we are one nation. That's in his bones. That's an integral um, sensibility. And, you know, the realities of Washington were that the right wasn't really playing that game. And, uh, you know, neither was the left, as it turns out. Uh, but, you know, Obama can. And so we'll see how he responds to this new um, Republican juggernaut on Capitol Hill. And uh, I am hopeful, hope, I'm keeping hope alive for some good things that are surprising and will probably be consternating to my lefty friends, but uh, I will be keeping an open mind. So that's the election tonight. It's in the air here in Colorado. And of course, Colorado is a swing state. We're on the razor's edge with this governor's race between Cory Gardner and Mark Udall. So... Um, we'll see how that goes tonight. A couple more logistics. A word from our sponsor. Uh, I, I always, I always want to give a shout out to IntegralLife.com, which is the main web portal for cutting-edge integral thinking. They feature Ken Wilber's latest work. And I was looking over the site today, and, you know, they're featuring some of Ken's more seminal work, which I think is interesting. The Five Elements of Aqual. Uh, where Ken talks about his aqua theory, which is you know, really fundamental to integral theory uh, from at least the Will Berrien school, and uh, also a, a, a program on the four quadrants. And for those of you who are interested in integral theory, check them out. You know, they're good little videos that they've really packaged well, and, and Ken's a beautiful transmitter for his vision. So I, I recommend them. Uh, also on Integral Life is uh, Keith Witt's new program, Loving Completely. Keith Witt is, uh, I do a series with him called The Shrink and the Pundit. I'm the pundit. He's the shrink. He's an integral psychotherapist. And, um, you know, very popular. Uh, and um, Loving Completely is his, I, I think there's 51 modules or at, at, at any rate, check it out. Um, it's on Integral Life. And so, yes, Integral Life hosts this podcast for which I'm very grateful. Uh, and this podcast is also available on my site, dailyevolver.com, where I have additional commentary and always this podcast. And it's also available on iTunes and Stitcher. And, um, you know, we're really growing and a uh, lot more listeners. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, and um, so, you know, keep passing it on. I'm, I'm uh, feeling kind of encouraged here. All right. So... You can press one if you want to make a comment or have a question. I'll get to them at the end of the show. And just a couple quick things here. This is a little write-up that appeared in the magazine The Week, which is a great magazine, by the way. For People always ask me, what do you listen to? What do you read? The Week is a great magazine that it's not about reifying any particular polarity or position in the political 
universe. It's about picking two or three perspectives on any given story and giving these sort of bite-sized um, insights into you know left and right and scientific and religious and east and west and it's a great magazine it's, it's just sort of um by design and by definition integral in that it brings forth multiple perspectives which is of course what integral does so at any rate they pulled this excerpt from a editorial from the financial times of london written by janan ganesh and I enjoyed it because he's talking about how the United Kingdom is inflicted with miserableism, you know, just sort of feeling down and bad. And God, you know, the United States sure is. And maybe this is just a sort of a sickness of the developed world. In, in, but at any rate, it's, it's interesting the way he describes it. And he writes, the trouble with Britain is that it's a successful nation that does not know it. The mood music of the day is that, quote, things are bad and getting worse. Does that sound familiar? He goes on. We complain that there's too much immigration, that our leaders are out of touch, that the economy is rigged. Yet to foreign observers, this sourness is quite unwarranted. Here is a country, he's talking about the UK, so eerily stable. I love that. Eerily stable. It deals with a successionist threat to its very existence by holding a free and fair referendum on Scottish independence. Its politicians are basically honorable. Its economic model is more hospitable to business than Europe and kindlier to the poor than America. That's cool. Uh, more hospitable to business than Europe and kindlier to the poor than America is. He goes on. Both crime and unemployment rates are falling. It wasn't always so. Back in 1973, before Britain joined the European project, it was broke and ungovernable. But during the decades of European Union membership, it has become a rich country of rare dynamism and maturity. Yet now Prime Minister David Cameron seems set on engineering an exit from the EU, not because he thinks it's in Britain's interest, but to appease the miserablists. <laughs> so um, it's funny, you know, that uh, the economy's rigged, leaders out of touch, too much immigration. These are, um, these are the issues of our time in, in the developed world. So it's nice to see that we're not the only country suffering from miserablism. Just one more quick thing uh, from my friend and, and um, listener, John, John Slade, who's so cool. He sent um, a um, quote from the new Pope, Pope Francis. And when I read it, I thought to myself, okay, this does it. This guy is integral. This Pope's integral. I mean, I don't know, but let me read it and you can see what you think. Okay, so this is from Pope Francis. When we read about creation in Genesis, it's the first book of the Bible, the, you know, the story of God creating the earth in six days, resting on the seventh. We all know that story. So he says, when we read about creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God was a magician with a magic wand and able to do everything. But that is not so. God is not a divine being or a magician. I mean, let's just... Pause there for a moment. This is the Pope saying God is not a divine being or a magician. 
but the creator who brought everything to life. I'm not sure exactly what the difference is there, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. He's the creator who brought everything to life. And then he goes on to say, evolution in nature is not inconsistent with the notion of creation. Evolution is in nature. Evolution in nature. So he's, you know, putting his, his uh, stock in with evolution in a very polarized and politicized environment. Evolution in nature is not inconsistent with the notion of creation because evolution requires the creation of beings that evolve. And that last one's a little mysterious to me. Evolution requires the creation of beings that evolve. And that's, you know, is it true that uh, subatomic particles had to become atoms, had to become molecules, had to become cells, had to become beings? Maybe. Um, it has a little bit of a flavor, you know, of a theist where there's a perfect God that's already there and we're sort of working our way back versus a more traditional uh, evolutionary and, and I think more, more common integral view that God himself, herself, itself is also evolving and uh, that there's a certain perfection and, you know, it gets mysterious to me at this point, so I'll stop here. But, you know, I welcome Pope Francis into my integral pantheon. All right. So now I'd like to turn to a issue that I want to explore in a little more depth. It's regarding uh, the sort of critiques of, I guess, one stage of development towards another, uh, but also a critique of integral that comes from, uh, th that is very common in the integral world. And I think very well articulated in a essay that was written by Joe Corbett in IntegralWorld.net. And it is a critique of a conversation that I did with Ken Wilbur a few weeks back, uh, where we just talked about the state of the world and, you know, where things are going and stuff. Uh, and it was called um, The World According to Wilbur. That was uh, the article that, or the post that we did. And his uh, is titled, Jeff Salzman, Ken Wilbur, and the Missing Link in Integral Theory and Practice. It's an interesting piece, as again, I, I, I think it illuminates some of the friction and some of the sort of confusion, in a way, in the integral world that, I'll, you know, do my two cents to shine some light on it. Joe starts with a philosophical argument about how when we talk about goodness, truth, and beauty, which Ken and I did, which is sort of, you know, seen philosophically as the primary virtues, uh, that we're missing a fourth virtue, which is justice. And he makes an argument about that that is a lot of uh, integral inside baseball. I'll respond to it on the site, but I'm not going to talk too much about it here. And j just for the purpose of, you know, my discussion and, you know, my contribution here, I'm going to agree with Joe that, Justice is crucially important to understanding the human condition, you know, however you want to, whatever, however you want to come at it, and, you know, how to better the human condition. 
So I'm going to agree that justice is right up there with goodness, truth, and beauty. And then so we get to some of Joe's specific uh, critiques, and I'll quote him in a couple paragraphs. He writes, In their talk, Wilbur and Salzman speak as if the development and expression of consciousness takes place in a vacuum, without social and historical context, and free of the distorting influences of money and power. No consideration is given in their analysis to how institutional structures of power and money, in parentheses, media, schools, religion, the corporate military police state, in parentheses, how they systematically prevent and retard human development. So just a few thoughts about that. First of all, I would agree that institutional structures of power and money can be, and often are, in our day and age, for sure, oppressive forces on humanity. There's no doubt about that. In fact, I was reading in the New York Times today that Margaret Cho, who is the uh, president of the World Health Organization, did a major blast towards uh, the drug companies and, and, uh, and uh, the research centers, and particularly in the United States, that Ebola drugs and Ebola vaccines have not been fast-tracked nearly enough because they're not profitable and because the drug companies don't stand to make much money on them. And that is a very, very legitimate critique of the drug companies, and I'm very happy to see it in, you know, the New York Times and in, you know, the public uh, discussion. Now, this is a, an, an example of where corporate America's greed is ignoring a very present need, and yet it is also indicative of this is, you know, this had, it really a lot of this started with AIDS. And drug companies have stepped up with free AIDS drugs programs. Uh, but th that it becomes more and more morally untenable for developed countries, rich countries, drug companies, to have an answer to, the prob to a problem that is uh, causing catastrophe in a part of the world and to hold back just for profit. And yet... This has been human history for all time, is that we don't go out of our way to look for trouble, to look for needs that aren't in our immediate purview. In fact, moral development is about the history of humanity increasing the circle of who is worthy of moral consideration, my family, my tribe, my clan, my nation, and finally, as we get to the world that we're entering, and Margaret Cho in this story is an example of it, is the green world where uh, it's world-centric. Everybody in the world is included in my circle of moral consideration. And it's not okay to hold back on helping people because of profit. So that's the second thing I would say in response to Joe's critique here, is that there's Money and power have always been forces of oppression and 
as he says, they are distorting influences. They prevent and retard human development. They've been that, and they've been also the engines of human development. And that is sort of my third point, I guess, to Joe, and that is that power and money are not an outside force that is operating on an otherwise more healthy and benign system. Power and money is the lower right quadrant of reality. I mean, it's interpenetrated with all quadrants. And again, uh, if you're new to integral theory, you can check out the quadrant diagram and the altitudes of development diagram uh, by clicking the link on the email that was used to remind you of this call. That's on my uh, dailyevolver.com site under theory. But yeah, institutional structures of power and money are features of human development. Again, they're built in. They co-arise with consciousness, consciousness being the upper left quadrant of reality, that our individual interior, you know, my own Jeffness, that's evolving. Um, and culture, the lower left, sort of the shared agreements and understandings, mutual understandings that we all have. And it probably also co-arises with the upper right quadrant, uh, with brainwaves. At every stage of human development, uh, there's a characteristic way of exercising group power and economics or some, some means of exchange. It's built into the system. It's not something outside operating on it. And from an integral perspective, we can see that there's a trajectory. There's actually an evolution of this lower right quadrant, this, you know, these institutions of power and money. And from a vantage point of our relatively higher moral development, as modernists and postmodernists and integralists on a good day, we can see that each of these stages have good and bad qualities. They're all, they're, you know, so we, we can see, for instance, that slavery organized more powerful systems of human resources than, you know, tribes alone did. When you conquered another tribe and got them to work for you and impregnated their women and, you know, built your society and, you know, that just created, you know, more powerful systems of human development. But its brutality is obscene to the modern mind. Welcome to moral development. Uh, early industrialization uh, outlawed slavery. After you know, millennia of slavery, in 100 years it was outlawed in every developed country, including the United States. But we had the child labor, we had you know, very dangerous workplaces, we had endless work weeks, we had indentured certitude by any name, and we're talking about early industrialization. And this is because we brought agrarian values. On the farm, kids work. Everybody works, dawn to dusk. It's just working, you know, social life is, uh, you know, and again, it's, it's one thing. And so that just continued into to industrialization until there was a wake-up call there. And, uh, you know, the beat goes on until we get to the current stage, which is modernity, which is the stage of development that organizes itself into some sort of free market. That is a market not driven by fealty to the king or dictator or warlord, but one that is based relatively more on merit. And 
That has been very powerful. That is a huge achievement of human history that we created uh, a free market uh, for the lower right quadrant of reality. Uh, it's a wealth creation machine. It has uh, brought uh, billions of people out of poverty, including another billion the last 20 years, uh, tripled lifespan, food, literacy, childhood survival. You know, it's created the modern world. What can you say? And there's a problem there. I mean, modernity is not always world-centric, particularly in the interiors. It can see logistics, but it can't see culture and it doesn't have sensitivity to, um, you know, some of the human consequences of, of what it's doing. And, th and this is, you know, a, a critique of modernity and of the modern corporate state that is absolutely legitimate. And I would agree with Joe in many ways, but it's not that it's not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be fixing it. We're supposed to be continuing to move the ball. But we're not supposed to be condemning it as something that shouldn't have happened. And this is one of the big moves into integral consciousness from Green, basically. Green condemns the corporate state just reflexively and, 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 and intelligently. I mean, thank God, after the, you know, modernity or the orange altitude, which is dedicated to the proliferation of industry and science and development, that we have a stage of development that came on in the last century, for sure, of post-modernity that presents the critique to that and shows the flaws in what's been, you know, from global warming to all sorts of ecological disasters and cultural disasters, the downside of that. And that realization is the move into green. I'm sorry, for the move into integral. So we can see both. This is what Integral does. Integral is not an enemy to the Republicans. It's not an enemy to the corporate state. It's not an enemy of the government. It sees that all of these pieces have a piece of the truth have, and have a, you know, they're, they're all part of the party. And this is where Green has problems going. And I, and I see this in Joe's article where he talks about, this is very telling, is about the state of nature, you know. How did, what did, how did human beings, um, you know, how were we originally? And, you know, how are we supposed to be? These are big questions that humans ask. And he gives a clue to his understanding when he talks about um, a book, The Great Transformation by Carl Polanyi, which, as he quotes, shows that modern orange values, or so modern values of the basically the corporate state, science, you know, that sort of thing, uh, discipline, the orange values and discipline did not spontaneously diffuse into cultures, but were coerced upon a resistant population of citizens, workers, and consumers who were ultimately bought and sold the paradigm of modern capitalism and representative democracy to replace their community-based systems of equity and reciprocity. And, um, you know, I just think that's a misreading of history uh, and a very pivotal one. I mean, if you think that that's what happened, then of course you would think that the corporate state is a malevolent force. And this, again, I would point out that 
what are the moves from first to second tier thinking? So moving from, you know, modern, postmodern into this new integral stage of thinking is that we drop the project of finding the enemy and start making friends with the whole system as it's arising, um, you know, in real time, knowing that to, to, to use the analogy of, of our own individual development, that when we're five years old, we're supposed to be five years old. And when we're eight years old, we're supposed to be eight years old. And that a five-year-old is not a defective eight-year-old. And, you know, a 12-year-old and 18-year-old and 36-year-old and so forth is that there's a movement to history. And that doesn't mean that we don't um, fix the problems of modernity, just as Margaret Cho, that, you know, she's embarrassing GlaxoKline in the New York Times. That's motivating to GlaxoKline, just as the, you know, the, 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 the manufacturing facility, what is it, the Fox manufacturing facility in China, the, all the problems they had, you know, gets Apple's attention. So anyway, um, what I will also notice is that, again, green is a achievement of humanity that we become very, very sensitive to people who have been left behind. That's, that's it's something. And we have this idea that we want uh, modern capitalism to be replaced by this, as, as Joe said, community-based systems of equity and reciprocity. That's what he's saying we were before capitalism. I would argue that. I do think that's where we're going to be after capitalism, however. And this is part of the move that we're talking about as we move into a new left, a new right, and just looking at it from 30,000 feet, that we have, you know, two huge juggernauts, particularly in the developed world, they're both very well developed. One is the private enterprise capitalist system. The other is the government. Uh, they are often at odds. They are often in cahoots. Uh, but there's a polarity that they create, this public and private sector, that is probably essential and certainly potent as we move into the future, that we want to have that, you know, energy and um, freedom and creativity of the private sector and the, you know, caring, the making sure people aren't left out, the uh, safety net, the security that comes from the public sector, and that these will be less and less polarized as um, time moves by. So let's see, here's a couple other quotes, I'm not sure. Talks about corporations are private tyrannies, overwhelming influence of political process. They do, no doubt about it. Um, totalitarian societies with privatized characteristics. I mean, that's incendiary language, but there's some truth to that. I mean, a company is not a democracy and there's somebody at the top or there's a board or there's, but you know, they're all after each other too. There's a, you know, this is one of the things that the public sector does is it makes sure that the private sector, imperfectly of course, stays competitive but with monopoly rules and, you know, uh, Dodd-Frank and, you know, all of the regulation. Basically, that's what uh, governments do. Yeah, and, and I guess I just also wanted to say that this is one of the 
problems with the view from the this sort of hard left is that again it's it's monoperspectival in the sense that and I'm not saying this is true of Joe. I'm talking, going to be talking just more about the mean green, what we call the mean green meme. This is the strata of people who have this, you know, strong antipathy for, you know, the Koch brothers, Monsanto, the corporate state, the whole bit, the big critique of that. And they're a minority, uh, a small minority. And how do they explain that to themselves? And so one of the explanations is that it's because people have been deceived. And Bill Maher talked about this a couple of weeks ago in his show Real Time on HBO. And he made the um, point that the reason for the rise of the conservative movement and in the United States, and also for the fact that it's, by, at least by his lights, more conservative, is because of Fox News. Fox News came along and uh, enthralled and deceived these people. And they are run by Rupert Murdoch, who's a conservative, and Roger Ailes, who's a conservative. And so these are the bad guys, and they have deceived everybody. Uh, second argument, he, he uses this, most of my liberal friends do, is because they're morally inferior. Uh, they're racist. They are, um, you know, just backward. And then the third one is that they're just sort of stupid. Is that they just don't get it. They're just sheep. And, you know, this is what every first-tier meme does to every other first-tier meme. That's why they're all in this, you know, contention uh, for all of human history so far. This is how they fight it out with each other. And um, from an integral perspective, we would say that the reason we have that it's Fox News didn't create the conservative movement or it didn't create conservatives. Conservatives created Fox News because they were always there. Believe me, I was raised by them. Um, they're, they're all over. There are many, many, many conservatives, just natural conservatives. These are people who are uh, traditionalists. Uh, they're often people who are, you know, modern, postmodern and integralists. They just have that sort of conservative view. It's not just traditionalists by any means, but that's pre the preponderance. And they're supposed to be who they are. That's, they're, they're wired that way. And so uh, they just never had a channel before. The technology, you know, we had three channels uh, when I was growing up. And, you know, with the Internet and so forth, all of a sudden they could aggregate. And they aggregated around this new thing called Fox News and, and the cable verse. And they have that. And liberals and moderates have everything else. Uh, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS. Uh, so, you know, there's a reason that Fox News is so popular. It's the only one. So anyway, this idea that we're not being put upon by some malevolent force is really important, actually. And, and I would see it as a spiritual move. I mean, it's really what happens as we move into, a, you know, a more mature integral understanding is that we're seeing that every stage of development has something to bring to the party. And that we can see that green ideology is one of the highest achievements of human history. It's a position that takes into account the suffering of others. It takes, it's world-centric. It's where everybody gets eventually, if they live long enough, you know, if they, or if they keep developing.
But in the meantime, there are people at other stages with other worldviews that have a piece of the truth that the, you know, green or, or um, liberals, if you will, are um, missing. And so, again, from a spiritual perspective, Integral tries to make friends with the world as it is, rather than argue for any ideology. And I guess you could say that Integral is an ideology as well. It's just a bigger one. It's an ideology that sees that all other ideologies have a piece of the truth. And just feel into that. I mean, just in this moment, I mean, there's a liberation, there's an aeration to our minds and bodies when we stop trying to contract around a particular way of thinking. And as we see that the world is unfolding as it should, I guess. I mean, with all, I always think of the last line of the Desiderata from, um, you know, we all had hanging in our dorm rooms when, in the, all us boomers, uh, that with all its sham drudgery and broken dreams, it's still a beautiful world. Strive to be happy. And things are unfolding as they should. And the reason they're unfolding as they should is because everybody, including Joe Corbett and everybody, is doing their thing. And, you know, putting their perspective out there in the arena of, um, you know, where we metabolize these things. And what a potent arena we have. You know, this is what integralworld.net, you know, they're out of uh, Europe and it's, you know, they're, they're often critical of Ken and, you know, the integral establishment over here. And, you know, God bless us all. We're moving the ball here. So I see we have a couple people who are waving their hands. And I would uh, invite you, Brett, to uh, bring on John. Hey, John. Yeah. Hi there. Say uh, the uh, green meme. Uh, disdains, you know, the blue and, and the uh, orange. Um, but if they don't do that throughout their entire existence, I mean, do they? Because they have to go through those memes in order to develop the uh, green meme. Uh, isn't there some point of maturity where they start to acknowledge the partial truths of those two memes? I mean, yeah, yeah, and that and that move is what we would call integral, actually. So, yes, I, I, um, as, as somebody who's going through green, of course, I've gone through blue, and we're talking, when we talk about blue, we're talking about traditionalism. In the uh, Aquil theory, it's the color's amber, it all gets very confusing. But traditionalism, these are social conservatives, religious people. There's a sense of, um, you know, when I wake into that, when Jesus, when I accept Jesus as my personal savior, that's a big deal. That reorganizes my life into this, you know, beautiful big world of uh, being saved versus unsaved and, you know, right and wrong and good and bad and good and evil and all of that stuff. And that is actually an achievement of development. And then I move into orange where I become scientific, or this is modernity, uh, the modern stage of consciousness. And I become scientific and intellectual and use logic. And now all of a sudden the book the truth being revealed by the book doesn't make sense to me anymore. But it's not that I necessarily want to lose what's good about that. But I will be at war with that. There's a part of me that 
you know, as I move from a traditional to modern, even into postmodern, postmodern being more pluralistic, um, you know, deconstructive, liberal, e ecological, world-centric, that all of those are actually at war with each other in our culture. This is the left and the right. And they're also at war with us in our own psyches. You know, there's part of me who, you know, feels bad about losing my religion. And the great thing about Integral is that we get to see that there's something precious and developmentally, you know, rock solid. They're, 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 each of those are essential, not to mention the, the worldviews previous to those. But all of those are essential to having a healthy Integral development. And that part of the Integral Project is not just moving forward into Integral Consciousness, but going back and, you know, checking out my, my own blue or my own traditionalism. You know, how much faith do I have? How much do I, is right and wrong and morality in that way actually online for me? Or I go to my orange and I say, uh, you know, am I really expressing myself? Do I... You know, am I taking my life seriously? Am I doing anything? And what's the stuck point for me? You know, why am I not if I'm not? And, you know, so the project becomes, as I said, not just moving forward, but also going back and seeing how we can shore up and make ever more healthy the previous stages, which all come on unevenly. I mean, we can look at our own lives and see, you know, where am I missing magic? Where am I missing power? Where am I missing creativity? Where am I missing the sense of belonging and oneness? You know, that covers, you know, several of the memes right there. So anyway, thanks, John. Good question. Uh, okay, next, Rodrigo. Welcome. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, indeed. I hear you good, Rodrigo. Where are you from? Oh, great. Um, no, yeah, what I want to say, it's, it's, it's so clear what you're saying, Jeff, and so important that as being is, is the, this idea of be, becoming interrealist and um, the ability of being aware of, there's two things that I see that are very important, which is postmodernism, uh, I mean, green people going to integral, that's one side of the street, and the other side is be, it's supporting people as well. I mean, I, I work as a coach, and um, supporting people of, in their own stage um, to, uh, how do you say, to emerge in a way that, that it's healthy, you know, because yes. we're going to have for a very, very long time, I don't know how many years, I, I, I really can't know exactly how many years, but there's going to be for a long time a lot of people that is going to be in, in, in blue and a lot of people that is going to be in orange and a lot of people that is going to be in, in green. So the idea is in two sides of the street, which is how, how can we become more interrealist, more people become more interrealist, and at the same time, as we become interrealist and we support postmodern people to become interrealist, how do we as interrealists support people, I don't know, in a blue meme or yeah. in, a, in a red one, right on. to, to find a way to like get connected with evolution, not just in a vertical sense, but also in the horizontal sense. Yeah. No, right on. You know, it's, it's one of the great questions of how we help. And one of the things, I mean, I, I think it can be boiled down to something that's actually quite simple. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, even flows from that traditional stage of consciousness. And that is to just love them. 
really. I mean, it's, it's like what you do to a four-year-old. If you love a four-year-old and make sure that he or she is well-fed and stimulated and educated and loved and passed around and celebrated, um, they're going to grow into a five-year-old and they're going to grow into a six-year-old. Uh, you, you can't force it. So with that sort of larger intention to just love them, then as long as we stay post-ideological, that is, we can see that, you know, there are what we would normally call the conservative solutions and there are religious solutions and there are liberal solutions and there are scientific solutions and there are shamanic solutions and there are whatever. It's all available to us as integralists. And so if we have this basic orientation and space um, around another person that is loving, and we're actually, you know, intentionally generating love, then how we act is obvious, or how we should act, and how we can be helpful is obvious. Sometimes it means leave them alone, you know, let them work it out. Sometimes it means uh, um, show them something else, you know. <laughs> you know uh, instead of fighting, why don't we have sports, you know, where we can fight in a controlled way. This is, a, you know, one of the great movements from red to uh, blue, or to, to, from war the warrior culture to the um, traditionalist culture. And, and I'm not just talking historically in humanity, I'm talking, you know, as we move from children to teenagers. When that love is online, the um, action sort of arises from the loving intelligence of that loving space. So, I think that's it. Let me just see if there's anything else I wanted to share. It's time to say farewell and what fun it is, as always, to be with you. And um, I'm going to go next door with uh, Steve McIntosh, my, my friend, who I, I can't believe he lives next door. He's one of my, you know, heroes as an integral philosopher. Um, he's two doors away, actually. And we're going to go over and watch election results. So I'm going to, you know get my little I love Obama sticker and go over and, you know, commiserate. Okay, folks, Jeff Salzman, uh, see you next week. <laughs>